Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to some of the team behind Weapons of Reason magazine. That's the title we delivered to Stack subscribers last month in March 2019. So if you're a Stack subscriber, you'll already have read this one for yourself and hopefully learned something about the past, present and future of artificial intelligence and how that technology is impacting on all of our lives. Danny, the publisher, and Paul, the creative director, met through Making Little White Lies magazine, and in this conversation they talk about how they learned a huge amount working together on that, and how when the opportunity came to start again with a new magazine, they were interested in using their expertise to tackle the biggest, most difficult challenges facing the world. I think the genius of Weapons of Reason is in the way that it takes these big, extremely complicated issues and breaks them down into something more digestible that can inspire readers to make a real, tangible change. In this episode, Paul and Danny, and also the editor James, speak about why that's important to them. They also speak about the ways in which illustration helps them to communicate their ideas, and about what the future may hold for Weapons of Reason beyond print magazine. I was really pleased to send this one out to our subscribers last month, so I hope that you were one of those people receiving the mag, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Danny, James and Paul from Weapons of Reason. Uh, Fellas, uh, thank you very much for having me over in your lovely sunny office. It's a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for coming over. (laughs) So uh, I'm sitting here in a room with three of the people behind uh, Weapons of Reason magazine. Um, and before we talk about what is Weapons of Reason, we should probably talk about what are you. So, so who are you people and what are you all doing here together? Um, I'll go first. Uh, so I'm Danny and I am the publisher of Weapons of Reason. Um, so I'm the organiser, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. I'd call you the overlord. Yeah, I think I'll that's the best. That, yeah. Yeah. I'm James uh, Cartwright. I'm the editor, so I'm responsible for all the words. I'm Paul Willoughby. I'm the creative director, so I take care of you know, how we turn up visually and you know all the sort of visual language that goes with it. Uh, and we're, it's worth saying we're sitting here at Human After All, which is a creative agency and um, which you guys all work at as well as making this magazine. Yes, Human After All is our day job. Um, and has been for the last 15 years, <laughs> say that nervously. Um, yeah, this is what we do day in, day out, and Weapons of Reason is our passion project or our side project that we do um, a couple of times a year as the thing which is um, that we have total control over. We're our own client, uh, which can be a dangerous thing, and um, it shows the world and the kinds of people that we'd like to work with as an agency, what we care about. Uh, how we work. Hopefully, it's kind of best practice for us in a way. It shows how we how we do our thing. All right. So, so let's get into what this is. And so, we sent this out as the stack delivery last month. So that's March uh, two thousand nineteen. But for anyone who didn't see that, uh, who can just tell us like what is weapons of reason? Maybe I'll start and I'll pass over to the guys to speak about it from their own perspectives. But in a very practical sense, weapons of reason is a publishing project by us. There is, um, it sort of turns up mostly at people's doorsteps in printed format, um, where it's great to tell a story, but also it's content online and through social channels, we put our content on Medium, and it's to explore the biggest challenges facing the world. And we determined what they were 
five years ago when we started this project. There were very broad challenges like environment and conflict and society and economics. And we decided at that time um, of launching the mag that we would make eight issues. And in doing so, we would explore these big challenges and see um, how they were connected and what that meant to us. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty succinct. Um, for me, I think Weapons of Reason is like an opportunity for us all to learn something about the wider world and maybe something about ourselves as well. It's like every issue takes on a new theme and kind of serves as a massive research project for us editorially and visually. And we kind of we go out and we unpick these really complicated issues and try and translate them into something that is much more comprehensible, much more sort of tangible and yeah, make, make things that are really complex about the wider world more digestible so that they're easier for people to grasp and re- like less... Yeah, less complicated to wrestle with. And that seems like it was a pretty fundamental motivation, like right back. So, so what was it about taking big, difficult, complicated things and rendering them into something that is not simple because you, that, you know, you're not dumbing things down, but making things easier to understand? What, what appeals about that? Um, so, I mean, we found ourselves in an interesting spot after making Little White Lies magazine and Huck magazine. Um, so we, we felt like, you know, we were very talented communicators, both, both visually and, you know, editorially and what better way to showcase that and to get our personal message out into the world than, you know, making our own publication based around these global issues that we'd be fast become a lot more interested in as we aged, (laughs) to put it mildly, you know, like, you know, we loved film throughout our twenties and then, you know, somewhat found ourselves reading a lot more to do with global challenges. And, you know, our reading tastes changed. Uh, You know, we started watching a lot more documentaries and that sort of thing. And this all led us to wanting to tell this story through Weapons and Reason using the the very sort of methods that we'd been um, using to great effect with our clients. So this is a, a magazine that has grown with you, effectively. Like the, you, you cut your teeth doing other things, and now you're making this magazine about big challenges. It, it struck me, Dan, when you said so. You know, you mapped out what these eight big challenges were five years ago. I mean, surely lots has changed in the last five years. The, how how is this project panning out compared to maybe what you expected? Well, the framework that we set out, I think, still holds because it's very broad. Um, And we were lucky enough to work with some clients who had frameworks of their own. The UN have their global goals, for example, um, so that we could get an understanding of what those things would be. So that, like, you know, timeless giant challenges like environment and conflict were never really going to change. And for us, it was a case of picking an interesting lens through which to go in and visit them. So um, our first issue was environment and we visited it through the Arctic and that was great. Our last issue will be conflict and right now I have no idea what lens we will visit that through. We're still working that one out. Still working that one out, yeah. Um, But, you know, everything has held really um, because they're so broad and for us, it has, yeah, it's just been a case of seeing what the sweet spots are. I mean, I literally made at the start a spreadsheet where I put all of the themes across the top and down the side. And then in each cell, um, put the stories from each issue to see where they were coinciding from each issue, uh, with each other. So where did a story about artificial intelligence coincide with a story about um, leadership and so on and so forth? And you can, you can see that happening. We could see it happening straight away. Yeah. And some things started to shine out more than others. 
I think it's fair to say also that if we started with that framework now and we st- we were, say, exploring environment for the first time, we wouldn't necessarily look at the environment through the prism of the Arctic. I think the the, the discussion around the environment has, has, has moved on since then so that we, we'd kind of look at it through through different perspective, whether that's we, whether that's sort of... Uh, ecological collapse and you know this, the death of pollinators or something like that there'd be a different frame of reference mm. and I think well likewise a subject like power we've looked at power in a, in a way that's quite sort of uh, historical sort of like a wide historical concept context but also looked at very sort of specific timely issues like you know the, the, the rise of the far right in Europe or um, yeah populism populism in politics those kinds of things so the framework allows us to explore all of these different things in a sort of historical way but also a very timely way so the, the most recent one the one that's just come out is artificial intelligence so what, what was that on your spreadsheet what does that come under uh, technology and i think it's fair to say um you know, james is best to sort of detail the content of the issue but um i think we knew when we started making Weapons of Reason years ago, that when we came around to our technology issue, it was probably going to be an artificial <laughs> intelligence issue because it's just so, um, it's just such a big and an interesting topic. And, you know, I'm really glad that this issue has gone out on stack to all, you, all of your um, discerning readers because I think it's one, one, of the, one of our best and most interesting ones and it was always kind of going to be that way. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's always a funny thing. Like the, so we line the magazines up through the year and we try and work about six months ahead but obviously you never actually know what I never know what we're going to be sending out until I see it and when I saw this one I was like yes because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think this is uh, well I think this is the best one that you've done and I think part of that is to do with the structure so the the, the structure of the mag is that you have past present and future and I just think that that works particularly well in this case. So you, you start in like 1725 with the semi-automated loom, which I was like, yes, yes, I like that. And then like it sort of skips on through hundreds of years. And then you have, you know, the, the big main area is the present. And so it's the stuff that's going on now. So, we're, I mean, James, when you're coming up with your story list for this stuff, I mean, you're almost spoiled for choice. Like, what, what, what sort of things were you looking at to, to make the grade for this? For me, it was about. I was quite keen that we didn't get caught up in sort of the sci-fi future of artificial intelligence. I think so much of how pop culture and cinema deals with artificial intelligence is, you know, it's like the idea of killer robots that are coming to destroy humanity. Which, you know, maybe maybe hundreds of years from now, someone will be listening back to this podcast and be like, "Well, <laughs> we're gone now. That was it. You were wrong, mate." But I think so much of um, what artificial intelligence is is kind of really really intertwined with how we lead our daily lives how we sort of embrace our our technology our devices it's it's sort of it's written into the fabric of daily life in ways that we don't really realize so for me it was about unpicking some of those themes and trying to show people that artificial intelligence in, in some ways could be something to be feared you know maybe we should be very concerned about the way our data is being used in terms of artificial intelligence but equally it's something that could be helping us right now in, say, um, the diagnostic capabilities of artificial intelligence to help doctors um, deal with things like brain tumours or uh, heart problems. Like, there's, there's this kind of, there's this balance to be struck between the positives and the negatives of this issue. And so that was, that was really what I wanted to explore as much as possible. Uh, and so you're going through these stories, looking at all sorts of different, so you, you mentioned a, a piece uh, on the way that AI can be used in the medical profession to, to kind of take some of the repetitive stuff 
off doctors, like the you know kind of the, the things that a machine could do. What were the stories in here that you thought like, okay, I've never seen anyone talk about it like this before? I think the one that probably had the most kind of shock factor for me was uh, one about chipping parties and um, implanted technology, which. I mean, yeah, we kind of, you, again, if you kind of drift off into um, sci-fi territory, it's like this idea of the cyborg made real today. And it's something that's happening right now in in Sweden for some reason. And, you know, these tech companies are, these tech startups are hosting these parties where you can implant yourself with a chip, which could, say, gain you access to your gym. It could be your Oyster card. It could be X, Y, Z. But while that seems like a very positive thing maybe if, if you're if you're really into your tech and you want sort of wearables to be embedded into your skin there's because of all the kind of issues around data data transparency that we have at the moment like there's this bizarre lens on like function creep and how how if you have this technology embedded in you like there's this enormous opportunity for private companies to like take advantage of you in in ways that are just unimaginable right now so yeah for me like the fact that people were willingly doing this was quite shocking but then I can also understand the convenience of it. And I think, Willow, you're quite into a lot of this stuff in a way that I'm not, maybe. Not necessarily mm. chipping, but... You chipped well. <laughs> we, but, we, but we have this kind of, like, difference of opinion, I think, on, on the technology of, of some of these things. So while I was probably sceptical about this, maybe you weren't? I don't know. Um, yeah, I sit here wearing an Apple Watch. So, <laughs> I mean, at least that's one step in that direction. But I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not what people would call a maven, as in a severe early adopter you know i'm desperate for this stuff but i do see the benefits society um especially around security and that type of thing you know like if at the moment it becomes easy for people to steal your identity within banking for instance you know maybe something like this makes that a whole almost impossible Mm -hmm. so you know like that sort of bio data type approach as we can see with, you know, even putting your fingerprint on your phone is is a way of, you know, making things a whole lot secure for people. Mm. I think that's one of the things that struck me in, in the issue is the, the extent to which so much of this is just happening now already. Like, mm. It's just going on around mm. us. Uh, and I think that the, um, I mean, the illustration plays a very important role in the magazine. So that's, that's one of the main things that Weapons of Reason mm. is known for, I think. And it's interesting that in the one photographic piece that's where you actually went further out and like showed the cyborgs like they, mm. you know you showed the people who are like fusing with technology mm. because i guess that's kind of what you want to see in a photo piece whereas the whereas with everything else that actually you can give these really cool illustrative mm. versions of stuff which is just a lot more kind of everyday life like it's just mm. the way we're living things now yeah so i mean our approach to that the interplay between illustration and photography is, you know, because we're so illustration heavy, once you get to the photography page, it's almost like you want to see the real human face behind an issue. You know, like in one issue, we'd photo- we'd gone to a photographer and he'd, um, he gave us this amazing set of images from everyone who lived on the, the Arctic Circle line. Um, so, you know, the, all of their stories were brought together by the fact of, where they lived within you know that part of the world um so in this issue we it's exactly the same you know what is the real face and the human face of you know us fusing with technology and you know what does it look like when someone uh implants some kind of strange device into their skull and it just 
basically hangs in front of their face and it's you know that's not an unnoticeable thing like it's one thing chipping your arm and having it you know implanted and you know um just kind of useful within certain aspects of your life but these guys are obviously like the early early adopters the ones that are actually pushing the boundaries but i also think there's something quite like pedestrian about the the people that are doing this you know like those photographs like in some ways they're shocking but they're also just everyday people who have made these things happen for themselves so there's a guy who's like got a bionic eye and he's just done that off his own back it's not it's not this kind of crazy sort of futuristic idea we have it's just someone like working in in their shed or in their little lab making these things and it is quite it is quite everyday run of the mill uh, so then following the um the, the structure of the magazine so you then have your future section which it feels to me is that that's where you put them not more problematic but a couple of stories which are like difficult things that people are talking about a lot at the moment so what, what was your what was your thinking for like sort of finishing this this issue off the most regular argument that i hear made about artificial intelligence is that it's coming for our jobs like you know it's not it's not that it's going to kill us it's just going to it's just going to take our work away it's going to sort of you know rob us of of the thing that we do from nine to five every day, which in some ways sounds really positive, but equally in the kind of current economic climate sounds terrifying as well. So um, the first article in the future section was looking at um, universal basic income as sort of an alternative to how we do things now, just to saying to say that if AI does come for our jobs, fair enough, but like, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with it in a very practical way? What could the financial systems look like that enable us to function as a society? as we do now, but without our jobs. So that was number one. Then number two was a bit more kind of blow your mind, uh, complicated. Like if if we have this idea of God, if we have this idea of morality, if we engineer something that sort of occupies that space as we kind of abandon religion, where does that leave us in a kind of philosophical and moral dilemma? And that is definitely not as simple as like how do we redesign our financial system so I kind of yeah again it was like trying to have a balance between something prosaic and everyday and then something that is like how is this going to blow our minds <laughs> in ways that we just don't even understand so yeah so hopefully it managed that a little bit yeah, I, I like it I like to have my mind blown gently at the end that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the nice way of doing it so the, so Dan you, you mentioned earlier this this was conceived as an eight issue project you're now six issues into an eight-issue project. So it seems to me that that must have a very different complexion now. Like when you're starting out, you go, yeah, we're going to do eight issues of this and it's going to be awesome and we're going to finish. But now you're sort of getting close-ish to the finish. So, so how does that change? Um, so I, don't, I don't know if we ever really thought that we would finish eight <laughs> issues because I wouldn't have wanted to go into something which has required this much um, time and effort and passion thinking that one day you just stop. But we did really believe in this learning exercise, definitely for me, because I went into this woefully ill-educated as to anything that was going on in the world around me, and I will leave it far better educated about that. Um, but yeah, as we come towards the end, and at the beginning of this year in particular, as we release this issue, and then start work on our final two issues, which are around um, economics, um, which is our, our broad theme for the issue uh, at the end of this year and then conflict at the beginning of the year after. Yeah, we started to think, what comes next? And we definitely want there to be something that comes next. And so um, as a group of people making the mag, we are just in the process of sitting down in quite a 
I want to say formal, but certainly structured way, because that's what we do now as an agency. We do everything um, in a fairly process-driven way to to plan what will what will come after those eight issues, and certainly something will. And we don't know what it will be. Um, we have some inklings, we have some ideas um, that we can talk about now. You know, like th- throw them out there. We're kind of discussing them between between ourselves, literally uh, this morning. I haven't seen James for uh, for a little while since we put them out to bed, and. Yeah, it's sort of time to think about that. So one of the things that we are fairly sure of is that the the next incarnation of it might be more digital first. Um, you know, it's fair to say that it has been a print-first approach over these years, and I do not think that we will abandon print at all, but I think that we need to think more about the core goal of the mag from the start, which was to turn knowledge into action. And we have seen that driving people towards some kind of action is a much easier thing to do um, online, basically, because you can you can use a link to send them somewhere, quite literally, whereas making someone jump from their couch to signing a petition is really quite difficult. Um, so I think Digital First might be something that happens. I think we'd like to publish more regularly. I mean, some of these issues have taken us a full year to get out. Yeah. Um, and during that time, people would be forgiven for thinking that we had stopped <laughs> given up got bored i don't even know what but but we haven't you know we've been powering away so we want to we want to keep publishing and saying more things i think we also would like to be more timely in um in the way that we that we look at things and be able to discuss something that's happening right now as opposed to being quite so broad so that would be that would be a really great thing and then finally um just thinking about what is at the center of everything that we've been discussing. So we discussed, for example, and it's still an open discussion, that climate change um, had been very central to all of our issues. Or maybe not, maybe central is not the right word, but it had cropped up more than anything else, perhaps. It yeah. was. It always rears its head as a big challenge. And so maybe we should pivot and just talk about climate change. Um, but that's tricky because while that might be a great thing to do and make us... Uh, enable us to focus on distinct actions that we're trying to drive the same actions each time as opposed to very very different things that we're trying to drive people to do from one issue to another because the topics are so disparate Um, it also might hamstring us because then what if something massive happens in the world that has nothing to do with climate change and we're sat there essentially mute and not able to address it so it's it's a big discussion and one that i'm sure will be very interesting this year and i don't yeah i don't know where where Willow and James here stand on it at present. Maybe they can illuminate us. Well, I think as, as well as climate change, but another thing that kept on cropping up was um, was the idea of inequality in, in sort of global society, whether that's uh, sort of inequalities of power, inequalities of money, inequalities of access to resources. Um, so that's something that we've discussed quite a lot, is looking at that theme and exploring that in a slightly different way. But I suppose also in the past five years since we've been making the magazine, some of the challenges that we'd have outlined... Uh, in that initial framework had become more urgent. I suppose it's about whether we refocus on something that has become much more pressing and deal with that directly, or we keep on with this broad focus and uh, continue doing what we're doing. But Danny's right, the um, driving change and trying to encourage people to take action is really hard through a print format, so it's whether we want to focus that, keep that focus and really look at that in more detail, I think, something that we're dealing with at the moment. And I guess this all plays into work that you're doing more widely within the agency because it sounds like, you know, you talk about like a process-driven uh, approach, like that sounds like what happens when a client comes and gives you a brief. So you're, you're effectively being your own client for, for this project. 
Indeed we are, yeah. So we're intending to employ all of the sort of strategic approaches that we would bring to a client with such a challenge uh, to ourselves, which is, you know, not an easy thing in some way because there's a lot of... um, there's a, a lot of people are uh, invested, personally invested in this project, and it's a very powerful project. You know, it's picked up all kinds of equity along the way. Um, one of which is, you know, the visual style, the visual approach, which you know we'd be looking to refocus in a new effort. Um, so, I guess what's important for me is also that we go to the place where ideas are generally consumed. You know, not ask people to switch to a new new format, but actually deliver things as easily and powerfully as possible to that that very place where there's most activity, Um, which accounts for why Dan was talking about the switch to the digital format. It's simply the place where you can hit people with the ideas the best and they can share them the most easily. The challenge we have is in a time-poor world where people really don't spend you know that much time digesting long form maybe some listeners here do but you know the world at large and certainly the younger generation don't go there um how do we package these ideas in such a quick quickly digestible and incendiary fashion for people to actually feel the impact of these ideas you know and actually and and that would lead hopefully to them taking action within that digital context which we're hoping for, which of course leads on to greater conversations outside of the digital realm um, and onto action in the real world. That idea of packaging something up so it's super simple reminds me of your covers. And so there's been a couple of your covers that have just had that lovely, so the, the aging issue um, is like a, a flower with like pupils' faces as the petals and they're like, you know, they start as a baby and they get older and then they drop off and like, it's, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> That's, it's such a it's such a lovely, simple expression of this thing that affects literally everybody in the world. Mm. It, I mean, can we expect to see some? Is that the sort of thing that you're thinking about, like packaging something up like that? Absolutely. I see illustration as like visual poetry. Basically, it has the power to land quite a complicated idea within such a succinct and elegant beautiful piece so we can expect to carry on with that as you know one of our tools um and we love visual storytelling so you know not only does illustration pack a strong sort of graphic punch it also tells that deeper story and gets to touch people in a way that maybe a photograph wouldn't you know there's a lot of content sites that may maybe rely on their photography more than others you know especially drone shots these days um so for us to have that slight differentiator something we can call our own is very important nice well we've still got two issues of the actual print magazine to come yet and um you know i know you're not going to leave print behind entirely but um i'm really excited to see what this new thing is is going to look like so what two years time one year's time i i would guess that um i always get told off from um suggesting things too quickly but what the hell I'm just going to do um, I think that before the end of this year we'll know what it will be and that we will try to launch it concurrently with our final issue and not really have too much of a gap but yeah 
you know, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, you, you've said it now and I've recorded it, it yeah. so now you've got to do it. Yeah, I'm legally obliged to follow through with this <laughs> promise. That, that's definitely what we would want to do, though. We'd certainly want to end the eight-issue run telling people, here's, here's what comes next. Yeah. We wouldn't want them to think that, that that was it. So I think that's really, really important. Because I guess apart from anything else, for your own like, purposes, you're running an agency, you've got a bunch of other stuff going on. If you just finish... You do your eighth and there's this like amorphous idea of like something's going to come in the future. That's a lot harder to then start once the daily deadlines are coming in and you've just got other stuff to do. A lull is always dangerous, isn't it? Yeah. Hard to get past once you hit one. So yeah, it's good to keep momentum going and hopefully we can do that. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I could could easily conceive of this three-year lull. That uh, suddenly creeps upon us. (laughs) So yeah, no, so so no, but you're quite right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 we have loved making this mag, but it's been really hard, you know, really challenging. Probably more so than when we made White Lies, really, um, because that was our full-time job. We did that for eight years, day in, day out, dedicated to that to that project, really. Whereas this is something which um, has occupied an, a tremendous amount of people's evenings and weekends, and it's been really, really difficult to do. So we want to we want to press on and not lose any of the momentum that we've uh, that we've gathered. Fantastic. Thank you very much for speaking and uh, yeah, good luck. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Okay, and that's all for this week. I love it when you get to see a plan forming before your eyes and I'm really looking forward to seeing what this new version of Weapons of Reason will bring. And of course, before that, we've still got the issues on economics and conflict to come. But if you can't wait that long, you can buy copies of the artificial intelligence issue and the power issue in the Stack Shop. Just go to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and search for Weapons of Reason and you'll find them there. And of course, if you don't already have the artificial intelligence issue, that means you're not a Stack subscriber. So you should also sign up to receive our monthly surprise magazine delivery. We send out a different mag every month you never know what you're going to get next and if you use the code podcast when you sign up you'll get 10% off our regular prices just for people who listen all the way through to the end of these podcasts thanks very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week